Um, well, I must, I must admit, I, I do practice a little bit. My, my friend Angus here, he, he has a table tennis at his, at his apartment and uh, we do sneak in many <laughs> table tennis matches <laughs> in between. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much for having me here with you this morning. Um, yeah, it's a privilege um, to, to share the word and yeah, I just pray that it can be of benefit to you. Um, so maybe before we begin, we'll just have a word of prayer. Um, dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much that we can gather on uh, your Sabbath day and um, just devote time, Lord, to, to seeking you and uh, listening to your voice in our lives, Lord. I pray that um, the, these words that have been prepared, Lord, that these may uh, bless, encourage and give hope um, to everyone here, Lord, um, and that your will, make, will be made clear, Lord. Uh, thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Uh, so, yeah, before I begin, um, I'd like to thank um, Timothy Keller for the inspiration behind some of this message today. Um, so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to John 8. Um, we'll look at the focus passage today, which is John 8, 31 to 36. So that's John 8, 31 to 36. from verse 31 Uh, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him if you abide in my word you are my disciples indeed and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free they answered him we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone how can you say you will be made free Jesus answered them most assuredly I say to you Whoever commits a sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Have you ever been told um, that you can't have something, and then because you're told that you can't have it, you strangely want it that little bit more? Um, I think it describes modern advertising very nicely. Often the car I desire is the one that I just can't quite afford. Um, It also describes, I guess, some of the dating scene amongst my 20-something-year-old friends. Uh, The girl who isn't interested in you is the one you find most attractive. (laughs) Um, It describes, I guess, uh, at home with watching the TV with my family and an argument breaks out as to what channel is selected. Uh, We want no one to take away our freedom of what we watch on TV. Um, it also describes my little four-year-old nephew. Um, we'll be we'll be playing with some of his toys together, and um, he'll give me one of his toys. And as soon as he sees me start to have fun with his toy, he'll suddenly want it back, and he'll want to do an exchange. <laughs> I think behind all of this stuff is this this notion that we want no one to tell us um, what we can do and what we can't do. We want no one to decide or limit our freedom and we see this first appear in the garden uh, where uh, the serpent uh, satan comes to adam and eve and and questions god's freedom he says did god really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden is god really limiting your freedom so we all want to experience freedom in our lives Um, and i've got three points today on freedom what is freedom secondly how do we as people generally find it without God in mind? And finally, what is the freedom that we can 
have access to with God? What is his freedom and what does that look like? Um, so firstly, what is freedom? Um, as an example, when I was uh, coming through high school, I was longing for the day when I'd get my, my license. I thought that would be the epitome of freedom, to have my car and my license. Um, and so I purchased a car, I got my license, and then suddenly I became aware of the costs of that freedom of having your own car. <laughs> and, um, as repairs, bills, fuel costs, um, insurance costs, it, it became quite apparent that there are costs to some freedoms. Um, so I think quite quickly we can see that in our own lives as we pursue different freedoms that we have, um, it's quite a strategic choice because all freedoms come with some costs. Um, we know that the freedom to pursue, um, I guess for young people, travel experiences can sometimes come at a cost to our bank accounts or, um, yeah, our, even our careers depending how far we go with the travel. <laughs> um, the freedom for us to get a good job at uh, university requires us to study hard um, at the cost of some social opportunities. Um, the freedom for us to eat deliciously unhealthy food can come at a cost um, to some of our physical health sometimes. Um, maybe the freedom to pursue our work that we actually enjoy can mean less uh, security or financial backing. Um, so even though we love to pursue these freedoms, when we look at these examples, we realise very quickly that freedom can be quite conflicting. Um, we want to eat both the cake and be healthy. We want to endlessly travel but buy a house. Um, we want to be both single and free but also desire a committed relationship. Ultimately, we are never free of constraint. And so just like Adam and Eve, our choices come with conflicting desires. Our choices for freedom come with costs. And so we also see this in our focus scripture. In John 8.33, um, the Jews are seen responding to Jesus and Jesus is questioning their freedom choices. Um, and they respond, We are Abraham's descendants and we have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? Jesus is questioning where they have placed their freedom. They've placed their freedom in their ident identity um, as being descendants of Abraham. And sadly for them, this comes at a cost of not recognising Jesus and the freedom that he is offering. So we're going to have a look at what freedom is with that in mind. Freedom is strategic, freedom is choice. What freedom then is the most liberating kind of freedom? The Jews had this freedom in their life to assert themselves as descendants of Abraham. But that came at a huge cost to not recognising what Jesus was offering them. So what are these freedoms in life that we just have a natural bent towards without God? Uh, to explain this, um, I love snow skiing. Um, I don't know if there's any fellow snow enthusiasts in the room, but um, I'm sure you can relate the, the love of seeing a fresh snowfall on the mountain. Um, the reason for this is that um, uh, my uncle actually, he, he moved to Melbourne and he was a keen skier and um, often I lived in Lilydale and he would call the home phone at about 4am when he was leaving the city um, to go skiing. And um, I quickly associated as a young boy that this meant I was going skiing. So whenever I heard the phone call, home phone ring at 5am in the morning, I knew it was going to be a good day. <laughs> um, so I quickly fell in love with skiing. And um, 
but yeah, on the snow, um, I love snow so much that um, it actually brings out a characteristic in me that isn't great. Um, for anyone that's been to the snow with me, my friend Angus, you've probably done a trip with me maybe, it brings out this really edgy, like, no one hold me back from the snow because um, there's this saying that uh, no friends on a powder day. Um, so in the snow world, if there's a fresh snowfall, everyone just goes, you just go for yourself, look after yourself and just enjoy that snow. Um, so if if there is a fresh snowfall, my day often goes the same. I'll get to the hill and um, I'll be really uncomfortable with anyone that's slowing me down and I'll run for the ski lifts um I'll ski by myself um but the day always goes the same I get about halfway through and then realize that my day would be much better spent with my friends um and that's actually a more enjoyable place to be um and so I guess it's strange to me when thinking about freedom that even though I have so much desire to ski that fresh snow I have so much ambition to ski that fresh snow it's an unsatisfying experience. And that the satisfying experience for me is to actually give up some of that ambition and spend the time with my friends. That is a more satisfying use of my freedom. And so I think this is quite common with how we approach our freedom in life. We think that if we express ourselves more, if we pursue our own identity more, if we pursue our own determination more, we'll be more free. But I think like this skiing experience, sometimes this can be an unsatisfying experience. So Jesus, in our passage today, claims that he is the way to freedom. And the Jews, they, they don't like this. They don't, they don't want his freedom. They don't accept it. Um, in verse 33, they retort, We are Abraham's descendants. We have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we'll be made free? Verse 39, Abraham is our father. Verse 41, uh, we are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. And so this is a relatable dialogue. The Jews here are caught up defending themselves. They are asserting their identity as something that has never been slavish. They are proud of their heritage, their ancestry. They are proud of their truth and what they do, their practices. These are the things that they deeply believe are their keys to freedom even salvation. And then to have Jesus come along and say, I am the truth, I am freedom, my word is freedom, this to them is utterly insulting to suggest that they don't have freedom worked out. How can you say that we'll be made free? Maybe in your life you're wondering the same question. You're stuck in a place and you're like, how can you say we'll be made more free? How can you say that when I go skiing, that slowing down and spending the time with my friends will be more, a more freeing experience? Sometimes we may find ourselves telling ourselves the same message, um, that surely, surely I've got my own understanding of freedom worked out already. Uh, surely my upbringing, my education, my paycheck, my serving, surely within these things I have my freedom. Surely I can rely on my own from here. And this is the voice that we are told from society that we, we are to rely on our own will. That if we can hold tight to our own choices, we are told that happiness is to be more true to ourselves and to assert ourselves more. But like the Jews, self-assertion doesn't lead our hearts to a great place. 
like my skiing example, um, self-assertion didn't lead my heart to a good place. Um, so a freedom, it doesn't come from within, if it doesn't come from our heritage, if it doesn't come from my ambition, uh, what, what freedom can I have hope of finding? Uh, what are the freedoms that can actually nourish our hearts and enlarge our sense of freedom? Like exercise can encourage the body to move more freely. What are the freedoms that nourish our hearts and give us more freedom? So finally, the, the freedom that Jesus offers. In verse 31, 32. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. A commentator writes this about that verse. Jesus does not mean here, whoever commits a sin, but whoever habitually asserts his own will, priding himself on his own independence, following his own inclinations, and primarily concerned with pleasing himself, is a slave. Such a person is confined within the limits of his own self-interest. A life of self-assertion is, as Jesus describes, a life of slavery. A life of self-surrender, however, is Jesus' way to freedom. Um, I invite you to turn to Galatians 5, 13 to 14. In your Bibles, if you have them. Galatians 5, 13 to 14. Galatians 5:13-14 You my brothers and sisters were called to be free but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh rather serve one another humbly in love for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command love your neighbor as yourself So in this text again we are told that freedom is not my will be done true freedom is your will be done um, I did a bit of work with this uh, older gentleman who runs uh, this place, Delhunty Park, um, which is a place down in Gippsland, and um, they've got all these like high ropes, different courses set up, and they take in um, troubled youths um, and, yeah, just work with them to get them back on track in their lives. Um, and this man is, is such a dedicated soul, and he's worked with just the most diverse bunch of people and has helped them immensely um and he said this to me he's like broken will equals a renewed spirit for the people that comes to his um facility um he says that he has to test these people mentally and physically to a point where they can finally surrender only when they have reached that point mentally and physically where they give up that's the only place where renewal, rebirth, and hope can start to go into their souls. And, like, yeah, it was just such a powerful message. Broken will equals a renewed spirit. And he's seen that at the very edge of these people that are right at the edge of life. Um, and so when the will is broken, when it is frustrated to the point of surrender, that is when we have the opportunity for a new spirit to emerge um, I'm not sure why this is, but um, I think from our experience, we, we can probably see this, that surrender is just something that is so beautiful in life. 
um, when we've been holding on to something so tightly and we can finally let it go, um, that is when our new spirit can emerge. So true freedom is a surrendered will, saying, your will be done, Father. Uh, like my little nephew that doesn't want to give over his prized toy, um, freedom to him is, is, is letting that go. Um, freedom to us is letting some of these things go to the loving will of our Father. Uh, so the question then is how, how can we live in that space where we can hand it over? How can we give God those keys to our freedom? Um, I think God um, is in the business of teaching this to us through our lives and by grace it will be done through our lives and he will teach us this. Um, secondly, as the verse suggests, um, if you abide in my word, or as other versions say, if you remain faithful to my teaching. Um, this is another, I guess, a way that we can also commit to learning this freedom, this right to freedom that we have access to through God. Um, so commitment is Jesus' answer to freedom. Um, if we abide in him, if we remain faithful to him. Um, and to explain this... Um, I, th I think of my experience of surfing. Um, when I first started to surf, there were some very specific conditions that I had to have to, to enjoy surfing. Uh, the waves had to be like no bigger than this high and like had to be like sunny, like very smooth waves. Um, but over my life, like committing to surfing, um, I can now experience surfing and enjoy surfing in a much larger range of conditions. The waves might be bumpy, they might be big, they might be small, and I can still enjoy surfing. Um, and it's amazing to me to watch professionals at surfing who can negotiate like the most tricky and challenging waves um, and still enjoy themselves. Um, so I think for us, our faith journey is also similar. Um, and that the more we commit to faith, the more that we can enjoy it in a variety of conditions. And so I think the same is true for our experience of freedom, to experience handing over our will, um, the more that we heed that gentle whisper from God, the more that we lean into that prayer for our start of our days, through our days, um, the more that we commit to opening his word, the greater that small faith that is planted in our hearts can grow and nurture into its full beauty. And I think this is where the keys rest to our true freedom, Liberating freedom that breaks down our own small-mindedness and opens us up to the vast beauty of God and a life that says, your will be done. And this is a commitment that we can experience the freedom of a faith and hope that holds through sickness, a faith and hope that holds through the redundancy, a faith and hope that holds through the accusations, through the brokenness of life, a faith that can hold through the heights of blessing. Commitment to this gift of faith that says, Your will be done, Father. This is truly the greatest and most secure place that we can stand as Christians. This is a freedom to see beyond ourselves, just like Jesus, and experience a life of surrender, a life of hope, of love, and of joy. C.S. Lewis says this, the terrible thing, the almost impossible thing, is to hand over your whole self 
all your wishes and precautions to Christ. But it is far easier than what we are all trying to do instead. For what we are trying to do is to remain what we call ourselves, to keep personal happiness as our great aim in life, and yet at the same time be good. We are all trying to let our mind and heart go their own way, centred on money or pleasure or ambition, and hoping, in spite of this, to behave honestly, chastely and humbly. And this is what Christ warned us we could not do. As he said, a thistle cannot produce figs. If I am a field that contains nothing but grass seed, I cannot produce wheat. Cutting the grass may keep it short, but I shall still produce grass and no wheat. If I want to produce wheat, the change must go deeper than the surface. I must be ploughed up and re-sown. That is why the real problem of the Christian life comes from where people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back in, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in, and so on, all day, standing back from all your, nat- your natural fussings and frettings, coming in out of the wind. Man's greatest need, it has well been said, is to know what his greatest need is. True freedom is not my will be done. True freedom is Jesus, your will be done. I think we're having a song. Yeah, yep.